Well, after a two-week hiatus, we are returning to our study in the book of Hebrews this morning, and we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verses 3 through 11, if you have your Bible and would like to go ahead and turn there. Last time we heard a sermon from the book of Hebrews, it was Demontre preaching God's word for us, and it was uh, verses 1 of 2 of chapter 12, and the theme or the title of his sermon was Run the Race, Run the Race, and Demontre uh, expounded upon the word of God for us that morning and drew a comparison, it's there in the text, a comparison between following Christ or being a disciple of Jesus and running a race. Now, I don't know if you are aware of this. This may be news to you. If you didn't know this already, but running is hard. Running is hard. I mean, there are some people who run and it just looks so effortless and they make it look easy, but it's not easy. Running long distances is a difficult business. And not only is running hard, but following Christ, being a disciple of Jesus, that can be hard. Sometimes just life in general is plain hard. And often when life is hard, we're tempted to think things like, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? God, why aren't you stopping this? And you may have felt like this about something in, in your life before. God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? God, why aren't you stopping this? Matter of fact, you may feel that way about something in your life right now. But what we'll see in our text today is that when it feels like it's hard to be a Christian, or when it feels like life is hard in general, God is treating us as sons. He's treating us as his pride and joy. He's treating us as dearly beloved children. He's treating us as his heirs who are set to inherit the world and all things. So let's look in our Bibles today at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, and see God's message for us. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen? Amen. So there are five points of action for us to consider today as it relates to being treated as God's sons. And the first of those five is this. Consider God's sons. When being a Christian is hard, when life is hard in general, we need to consider God's sons. If we're going to consider what it means to be treated as God's son, then God's sons, then we need to begin with Jesus, who is the only begotten son of God. That means he's the only one of the same kind as God. Jesus was not created. There has never been a point in the existence or in eternity past when Jesus was not, when the Son of God was not. He is the same essence as the Father. He is co-equal in majesty with the Father. He is worthy to be worshipped and glorified with the Father. Jesus is God's beloved Son. God the Father greatly loves and delights in God the Son. God says it himself. In the Bible, we read of Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes to John the baptizer to be baptized. And John says, oh, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. And we're told that Jesus is baptized. And coming up out of the water, John sees the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And a voice thunders from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father greatly loves and delights in the Son. Later on, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain to pray. And while they are there praying, Jesus' glory is revealed. He is transfigured. And appearing with him there on the mountain are Moses and Elijah. And Peter speaks up. And he says, it is good for us to be here, Jesus. Tell you what, we should build three tents or tabernacles. One for Elijah and one for Moses and one for you. And a voice thunders from the heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God is saying, shut up, Peter. I am not pleased with you, but I am pleased with him. God greatly loves and delights in God the Son. So if Jesus is the only one of the same kind as God and is greatly loved and delighted in by God the Father, then what kind of life on earth did God have in store for Jesus? Well, verse 3 we read, Consider him... That's Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. God's word tells us to think about the fact that the sinless son of God had a hard life at the hands of sinful men. God didn't just 
permissively allow Jesus to go through this. This was God's plan for Jesus. This is the reason he came. So why is it important for us to think about this? Why is it important for us to consider that Jesus had a hard life? Well, our text tells us so that we won't grow weary and lose heart. Have you ever complained to someone, maybe vented about your, your problems and frustrations, and they've responded by saying, well, there's always someone who's got it worse than you do. You know, the, the refrain that we've used a few times in the past two months has been, just think about people in the Ukraine right now. Just think about people in Russia right now. It's, it's you know, there's always someone who's got it worse than you do. Now, admittedly, it doesn't feel super helpful to hear someone say that. It, it, it feels kind of dismissive, like what we're going through doesn't matter. It kind of feels like we're being shut up a little bit, right? I mean, what I'm going through matters. It may only be a two compared to their 10, but that's not my life. This is my life, and this feels like a big deal to me right now, right? Well, verses three through four could feel a little bit like that to us. It could feel like the, the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is shutting us up. We're complaining about how hard our life is, and, and the Bible says here in Hebrews 12, Ever stop and think about how bad Jesus had it? Yeah, it may be rough for you in your world, but you're not hanging on a cross bleeding to death, are you? I mean, that's, that's kind of what it, what it almost sounds like. But the Bible most assuredly is not just shutting us up, but it most certainly is adjusting our expectations. You see, if the dearly beloved, equal with the Father, always existent, Son of God, suffered so much on account of sins, not his own, but sins, including ours, then should we really expect our path of following him to be all sunshine and roses? We need to remember that Jesus' invitation to follow him includes taking up our cross and denying ourselves. And that's sure to include some hardship. And so when life is hard, when following Christ is hard, we need to consider Jesus. But the second point of action is that we need to remember God's encouragement. Consider God's son, remember God's encouragement. Verse 5 tells us to remember the exhortation or word of encouragement that addresses us as sons. Now I'm not sure what the original recipients of this letter anticipated to read next when they saw Word of encouragement or exhortation. Okay, get ready. Something good's coming. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they anticipated, but I can tell you what I'm pretty sure most modern ears anticipate. We, we hear, oh, God has a word of encouragement for you. I know things are hard right now, but... And we expect to hear something like, hey, you've got this. You can do this. You're going to make it. I believe in you. You can do anything. No mountain is too great to climb. Shoot for the stars. We expect some kind of cat poster, right? This is the encouragement from God. But that's nowhere close to what God actually says here in the text and what the Holy Spirit calls encouragement. God's word to us begins with my son. 
So God is speaking to us, not as enemies, but as children. Those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, he is speaking to them as their father. So that, that is an encouragement right there. And here's what it says. Don't think of God's discipline as a small thing. Don't underestimate the significance of it. Don't be despairing. God disciplines those he loves. He corrects those that he receives, those he welcomes and accepts. So remember, when life is hard, all of our hardships are simply God's discipline. During the hard things in our life, God is saying, you are my child, I love you, I accept you, and I want to be close to you. If you are a Christian, when life is hard, listen up. This is the message that God is saying. So the third point of action for us is to endure God's discipline. When things are hard, we often want to quit. We're looking around for the eject button. We want it to stop or we want it to go away. And this is evidenced by the way that we often pray. God, change this. Stop that. Make it be over. The emphasis in many of our prayers is on making all of the hard things easy, making the difficult things go away, or increasing the quality of our lives by maximizing our comfort. What we often fail to see, though, is the connection between our faith and all the other areas of our lives. You see, true Christianity can't be compartmentalized. That means every aspect of our life is under Jesus' lordship. And he wants us to be obedient to him and to serve him and to give him worship in each and every area of our lives. And so that means that the hard things that we experience, which may not seem to be related to following Jesus, are absolutely related to following Jesus because the issue at that moment in any one of those areas is whether or not we are going to respond as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the midst of that particular difficulty. The difficulty then, whatever it is, is God's fatherly discipline. God is using it to do something in us. Now, just to be clear, because words have meaning, the word discipline doesn't mean the same thing as punishment. We hear discipline, and we, we may think that, that those words are synony synonymous. Discipline means punishment. But discipline means much more than that. An area of study can be a discipline. A workout regimen can be a type of discipline or a negative consequence intended to curb certain behaviors can also be discipline. The word discipline can mean all of those things. Discipline can be formative, teaching and shaping us, or it can be corrective, rebuking and redirecting us. But whichever it is, we have to endure God's discipline. We can't quit. We can't shortcut it. We can't short-circuit it because it's all a part of God's parentage of us. Our text is clear. God is a father. 
And if we are Christians, we are his children. And God is always going to discipline his children because he loves them. And that's what fathers do. Now, I realize that it's Mother's Day, not Father's Day. But I believe our text today is an occasion for all the fathers in the room with children still at home to reflect on whether or not we are doing our job. Our text is very clear. Fathers, discipline. So men who have children still at home, let us ask ourselves, am I leading the way in disciplining my children? Am I the chief disciplinarian in my home? Do I bear the weight of this? Am I the front runner in both the formative and corrective sides of discipline in my child's life? Or have I relegated that to their mother? Doing this will bless our wives. But we're not just doing it to make our wives happy. We do it to obey God. And we do it because we love our children. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod, so that means neglects discipline, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent, makes it a priority to discipline him. Fathers and mothers will both discipline their children. But men, we should be taking the lead in this. Are we doing Fourth point of action in relation to being treated as sons when life is hard is to submit to God's purposes. There are a lot of hard things we endure in life because of the desired outcome. People put themselves through grueling exercise routines to have a wash, set of washboard abs or a magazine cover physique. People put in years and years of training an intense study to be a surgeon or specialized doctor. And people go through incredibly hard chemotherapy treatments with the goal of being cancer-free. In all of these scenarios and others, at the moment, things are unpleasant, but people submit themselves to the process because they know there's a purpose for the pain, the adversity, and the hardship is going to result in something better. For the Christian, every hard, difficult, and trying thing that we have experienced, will experience, or are experiencing right now has one primary design for us, to make us holy. Our text tells us that God disciplines his children both formatively and correctively for our good that we might share his holiness. And here's why that's for our good. Because as we've read elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. To share in God's holiness is to become like him, to reflect him. But it's also to fellowship with him. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So growing in holiness is growing in fellowship 
with God, which will crescendo in eternity with him on a new earth, free from the presence of sin, sickness, suffering, death, and the devil or his demons. So submitting to God's purpose means to trust that he is good, that he is working, and that he is working for our good through what we're experiencing so that we may share in his holiness. And this brings us to the fifth point of action in relation to being treated as sons. What do we do when life is hard? Well, we are to be trained by God's hand. Acknowledging that our experiences are not outside of God's control, that they're not outside of the scope of his plan, and that he has a purpose for what we're going through, and that purpose is to make us holy, that, that series of acknowledgments, that chain of acknowledgments, is huge. We will do well to remind ourselves of this over and over again. But the work that God is doing in our lives through our circumstances isn't just a passive work. The text says that God's discipline will later someday yield, reproduce, the peaceful fruit of righteousness in those who have been trained by it. Which begs the question, how does God train us through the hard things that we experience? Four things under that heading. First of all, he humbles us by revealing our sin to us. When we go through very hard things, we tend to have a more clear view of our own selfishness. Why is this hard? Because it gets in the way of the things that I want, which reveals a sense of entitlement. I'm upset about this situation because I actually think I deserve the thing that I want, which also reveals my envy. There's someone else out there who is experiencing what I want to be experiencing right now. I want their life, which then leads to jealousy, which produces anger. Why can't I have this? Which also bears impatience. I want it now, which shows a lack of faith. I don't really trust that God's plan for me is good, which puts the spotlight directly on my idolatry. I love something else more than I love God. When life squeezes us, whichever of these are in us will come out. And so when hardship comes, God is graciously removing the curtain of our hearts so we can see the sin that's really there. But another way that God trains us through his discipline is he drives us to the cross. As we see our sin, we're reminded that we don't have a leg to stand on. We're reminded of our need of forgiveness, our need of a savior, our need of right standing with God that is outside of ourselves. As we read about today in Romans chapter 3, a right standing that is by faith in Jesus and not a result of our efforts or our track record. He drives us to the cross. He also breaks our self-sufficiency 
Charles Spurgeon one time said that self-confidence or self-sufficiency is Satan's net, which he uses to catch men like poor silly fish so that he can gut them. As hardship causes us to experience a sense of powerlessness, we learn to pray more and to better rely on God when all of our resources are extinguished. But we also learn to be more vulnerable toward others and more readily receive help from them rather than being pretentious and being aloof. And then the fourth way that we are trained through God's discipline is he produces character in us. Hardship will either make us bitter or it will make us better. It will either make us mad at God or it will break us down to make us more like Jesus. God's design is to use the hard things we experience to shape us like clay on a potter's wheel until we are progressively formed into the image and likeness of Jesus. So regardless of what hardships, what challenges or difficulties we've experienced or are experiencing right now, if we're Christians, God is treating us as sons. He's treating us as beloved children. He's treating us as heirs of the world and all things. So the question for us today is, are we submitted to God's fatherly hand? Are we being trained by life's hardships so that we might share in his holiness? Am I submitting to God's fatherly hand? Am I being trained so that I might share in his holiness? And maybe as I preach today, you've come to realize that you've called yourself a Christian, but you don't actually know God as father. This whole idea of God working in this way to this end is totally different than what you thought Christianity was all about. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't actually think I am a Christian. If that's the case, then God is not your father. He is your judge. But the good news of the gospel is that whosoever, anyone, who would acknowledge their sin and their guilt and their need, and they would turn humbly before God and cry out to God and ask him to be merciful and to save them and to take what Jesus did on the cross and apply it to them and make it good for them, that they will be saved. And instead of knowing God as judge, they can know God as father. If that's you today, wherever you're at, you can simply call on God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me through Jesus. And we've talked to myself, Pastor Greg, Pastor Andrew, DeMontre, someone who's been up on the stage today. Later, we'd love to talk to you more about it. Let's all go to the Lord in prayer right now, though. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We know that if it were not for the Son of God, we would all only ever and always be the enemies of God. But your word tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that a propitiation, a taking away of the guilt and the judgment and the condemnation has been provided through your son. And so, Father, I pray that we who, who readily acknowledge our need for Jesus and that our only hope is Jesus and that Jesus is our cornerstone 
He is the rock on which we stand, that we would, we would view life differently, that we would view life less as some vacation that we get to experience for 70, 80 years or however long, but that we would see it, Lord, as a place of training and a place of stewardship and a place of responding to your call to come and follow Christ and that we would see all of the things in our life as opportunities to die to ourselves and become more like Jesus and that we would find Jesus more satisfying and more wonderful than anything this world has to offer. And I pray for anyone here today who does not know you as Father, including our very own children, that they might be born again, that today, by your Holy Spirit, you would give them repentance and faith, and that they would turn from their sins, and they would cling to Jesus as their only hope, and they might know hope and eternal life. Father, we thank you for your great love, and we pray that you would work in us that which is pleasing to yourself, 